And God, we just thank you for the peace that we have found in you. No longer, Lord, are we encumbered by guilt and the effects of sin, but we have been set free, and those whom you set free are truly free indeed. Lord, we thank you for the goodwill towards men, not our goodwill towards one another. That can be so fleeting. But the goodwill that you had towards mankind, that you loved us to such a degree that you sent a Savior. And so, fathers, we have taken this time of the year, Lord, to acknowledge the date that our Savior entered into humanity. We just pray, Father, that you would just renew things of our faith that, Lord, sometimes can be stale and stagnant. That, Lord, we would have joy within our lives here tonight. That, Lord, we would express that through our fellowship with one another, through our time in the Word. And so, Father, we just lift up this evening that you would bless us simply for being here. But, Father, you would work your blessings through us as well into the lives of others, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Welcome to our first ever candlelight service. We'll be lighting, we'll be lighting our candles. Uh, some of you may not get them. We'll be lighting our candles towards the end of service um, because I don't want people to have fire all through the service. Uh, it was my wife's idea. She said something we needed to do because I can become a curmudgeon. And so in order for me to not be curmudgeonous, we are going to be doing the candlelight service, but first, we are going to be taking a picture for advertising for tomorrow's service. I got the selfie stick. That way I can be in the picture too. So everybody stand. I'm going to go over here. Wait, I got to figure this out. Last time I had people yelling at me because I wasn't doing it right. Ah, I turned off the camera. There you go. Okay, let's see. We can get them. I think we got the most of you there. Ready? We'll say Merry Christmas on three. Ready? One, two, three. Merry Christmas. All right. All right, you can be seated. Well, it's okay. Let's do one more. Well, you, you, a lot of you got your heads cut off. That's never a good thing. All right. I'll try to do better. Uh, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Whether that's good or not, we're staying with it. You take part my excuse me for a minute. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter two, as I'm putting this all back together. Andy will sit on. Fall asleep. It's cold outside. Man, it's supposed to be. It's winter time. We're going down to my daughter's in Yucca Valley tomorrow, and it's snowing there even right now. You know, snow flurries, but still. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It's the very first Christmas Eve, or at least that's how I'm going to look at it. If you want to get technical, it could be up to two years after the birth of Christ. But what it is, it is the eve of Christ entering into these men's lives. It's a very dark time for humanity, but there's always hope. And the hope, the hope is in the lone light that shines. In this particular day, well, they've seen the star. They've seen that lone light shining. But as for today, you never know. Maybe it's going to be you. Maybe you're going to be that lone light that shines. We're going to see in our candle lighting ceremony here today that many lights, they come about just from even a small spark. Just one person, one person who makes the determination that they're going to shine bright from Christ or for Christ. That will travel, and it's amazing how that can be so contagious. Why? Because it's powered not by the flame, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these men, these men came from either in or around Babylon. They were seeking a sign. They were looking for a light. Why would they be so interested in an illuminary hung in the sky? Because somewhere, somebody illuminated them to what God was going to do. These are men, they're from a pagan country who really, for the most part, didn't have a heart for the Lord. And so somebody decided that they were going to shine for God based upon the prophecies that were given on the coming Messiah. Now, Alfred Edershine, he's a perfected Jew historian from the 1800s, he said during the time of Christ, there were still more Jews living in Babylon and in that area than there was in all of Israel. And again, the Jews, they had the scriptures. They established synagogues for the purpose of the reading of God's word. Well, we can look at these people, and probably maybe the easiest way to look at it is under the heading of Daniel and the witness that Daniel was. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 14, it says, now this again is the pagan from Daniel's witness, I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. They noticed there was something peculiar. They noticed there was something different about this man, Daniel. He had this belief, this belief in the power of the Most High God. But it wasn't just a belief, it was something that also manifested itself through his life. See, there's always got to be that witness of the changed life of a born-again believer. It's that which is truly going to minister. In our past days, and I say our past days, the early days of my family, it was on this evening that we'd be headed over to Grandma and Grandpa's house in Brea. We would drive over there, and I would have my four kids, and before we got into the house, we would stop and we would tell them, you're Christians. There's an opportunity to be a witness. You need to act that way. It was our desire that through the change of our lives that we would be able to reflect Christ. We would be lights for Christ into that family. Well, they, they had during that day Daniel chapter 9, and the Magi, those wise men, could have been looking at that. That prophesied the time 
when Christ was going to be entering into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry, an event that's about 30 years away from happening there, 33 years away from happening there. But nonetheless, they knew these things were coming, so they were looking for the sign. And so as much as we can look for Daniel, at least to Daniel, for the answer, I would imagine that witness probably came from some faithless, faithful, faceless person who just continued forward in what God was going to do. Probably by faith to faith to faith, the witness continued to go that God is going to send a Messiah. And it affected these men to such a degree that they grasped on to the promise. And they, again, they were looking for a star. They were looking, now I I don't think that they were looking for, well, let's look for a star that's hanging over for the area of, of, of Judah. But they understood that there is going to be something that is going to be happening that is going to be life-changing. And these were men that would look for signs in the stars, and so that's what they were looking for. And so, either way, God sends light. He sends a light into these men's dark world. They were pagans. They were studying astrology They were far from God as we all were at some point. Astrology is something that God, well, he spoke against it in his word. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and to serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. Now, what do we look at, and I say we, our society, we'll look at the signs in the heavens. We'll look at our, our, our horror scope. And, and what are we doing with that? We're depending upon that as we need to be depending upon God. And again, when I say we, I just mean people of our society. But God says, no, these are signs. These are signs that point to me. And so you had these magi, these wise men, and God sent a sign and he stuck it in the heavens. We know that to be a star. And that star was in the heavens for the purpose of meeting these pagan men exactly where they were. See, it was God's intent that there would be only one thing that mankind would see when he looked to the sky, and that would be him. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? The moon and the stars which you ordained. It didn't say created. It didn't even say place there ordained. That means that God has reason and purpose for them. Now again, these things are signs. We're not to get caught up in signs because man's focus can be so easily directed to the signs, but we are to be directed to that which the signs lead us to. And again, you've seen many false teachers that get caught up in the experiential. They get caught up in the signs, but we're to be, if you will, caught up in the Lord Jesus Christ through the word of God. So this Christmas Eve star in Matthew chapter 2 seems to be ordained so that mankind would stop and consider. Remember those big spotlights? I don't think they have them anymore. 
Remember that they, they'd be on trailers and they were about four, six feet wide and they would shine them all through the sky. I mean, I'm a child of the 60s. I was a kid in the 60s and I remember them and you could see those beams. And what were those beams saying? The beams were saying, come and see what's under them. I think they were really popular with used car lots or whatever. But the idea was that they were to lead you to something. And, and my brother and I, as we would drive places, we were wondering, what is so important that be necessity? they'd have the necessity to have such a, a light as that? Well, it's the same thing with the light that came forth from the star, that mankind would come and to check out the child. Now, is there anybody here who is of Jewish heritage? Is there anybody at all? There's one person. Anybody else? Okay, just one person. That serves my point very well. These Magi, they were Gentiles. See, if you don't have Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile. And, and, and that's what they're a picture of. It's God speaking to all of the world. Now, do you remember what Israel was supposed to be? We're told this in Isaiah. They're to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, what we have here in the sky, placed by the hand of God, is a light to the Gentiles. Those magi back in that day, we say three just simply because more than likely it was based upon the three presents. Some say 12, and it's just all a guess. The Bible doesn't really tell us, but nonetheless, here's a light to the Gentiles, and the light to the Gentiles says, see, come, partake. The Word of God, the Word of God displayed to all of mankind, and it's undeniable, as I say pretty much every year, that that child, as he entered into humanity back in that day, tomorrow we'll be looking at exactly who that child is, but that child, as he, he, he entered into all of humanity, altered the course of the world. Today, this is Christmas 2016. 2016 years since the coming of that Christ. I know, give or take a few years, but nonetheless, we've set our calendars. Do you see the degree that this insignificant child in an insignificant nation, insignificant city, and how he has just exploded worldwide? Something profound is happening in that star. It's illuminating what God is doing so that all humanity would see. See, it's the sinner who does what he does in the dark. God does what he does in a public way to display all that he has for his people. So... This is the point that is made in Matthew chapter 5. But what I want to look at, the Bible, one of the things that it equates light with is being a witness. Again, we see it here, but we see it in very many places. Now, John, the Apostle John, when he wants to introduce us to John the Baptist, he, he uses that correlation between the two. In John chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, it says, All things were made through him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You should be able to relate to that. Maybe tonight after service, possibly tomorrow, you may very well may be going into some pretty dark households. Those who have yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, maybe even those who are contrary to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yes, the light will not comprehend it, but we're told here the light will shine in that darkness. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is the, don't get confused, the Apostle John, 
making reference to John the Baptist. This man came. What did he come for? For a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So what I want to look at here tonight before our candles is, is that star is the light that the star produced. Now, what I have done is I have looked up the light of a solitary star that is hung by the hand of God and really looking at the one that was hung by the hand of God over that city, Bethlehem. The light, the light that is emitted from the star is not necessarily all the same. Now, I'm just going to go on the presumption that that star was pretty special. That one was placed there by God for a particular purpose, for a definite reason, so that all mankind would come and see. Now, the color of the light that is put forth by a star has a lot to do with its age. I don't know how old the light was that was shining upon that little baby during that day, so I'm just going to kind of tie all the stars up in that one particular star. And so... What color light did Christ's star witness give? Well, we'll look at all four that a star can give. The first color of light that a star can give is blue. This is a star that burns the hottest. But a blue light, blue? Well, blue is the color that establishes the deity of this child. So God's star witness is saying, come and behold. Come and behold this child. This child is fully man, yet this child is different than any others. It's fully God. A lot of children born as of late. Suzanne just celebrated the birth of her great-grandchild. Congratulations. A young boy. Everything went well. Mom's doing well and, and all. Um, I just got to meet my latest grand, uh, grandson, grandchild, last Sunday. He was born up in Washington. They're down for the holidays and and also, it's really good. But this one, there's just something so special with this little baby. Now, blue is, should be familiar because God had chosen to include that color both in the ephod of the priest and the tapestry in the tabernacle. And the idea was, well, if you want to see the beauty of the Lord, as I've said so many times, when it came to the tabernacle, you'd have to enter in. But as you would enter in, you would see all of this tapestry, and a prominent color would be blue. And again, as the priest was ministering and he would have his ephod on, you would see this color blue. And so there's something to be said with that. Now, again, this star giving off this blue light kind of ties it all together. Well, this star witness tells us here that this child, Jesus Christ our Lord, that he's God over all creation. See, the idea is, is that he's God seated in the heavens. It's the colors of the sky. And as you look up and you see the massiveness of the sky, my wife has gotten to the point, you know, the Bible tells us that when Christ comes back, he's going to be coming upon the clouds. And so we're somewhere and she sees, a, you know, this, this amazing cloud pattern. She's very quick to pull out her camera and take a picture. And I've seen a few of you others do that. And it's just kind of a neat thing. I was looking at the clouds the other day and, you know, they're just so massive and they're just so huge. And you just look... You know, you're looking up into the sky and you're just seeing basically through affinity and it's just an amazing concept, something we take for granted, but we really should stop and consider these things. And that's the idea here is, is that through the tabernacle, through the tunic, and now through this star, that man would stop and consider as the star is shining upon the, uh, the Christ, Jesus the great high priest, and the tabernacle a pattern for the things in the heaven, that we would truly understand that he is Lord God over all 
of creation, that he is seated upon the throne of God. He's seated upon the throne of God today for his plans and his particular purposes. And he governs the lives of men and women so that as we go through this life, nothing happens by chance. It's all directed by the hand of the Lord. And so really what I want to see, this star witness, what does it tell me? That Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's God over creation, salvation, and sanctification. Creation, he inhabited the heavens when all that came to be, came to be. Again, the Apostle John, he points it out, this time in the first three verses of chapter 1. In the beginning, now when it says in the beginning, it means in the beginning past eternity. That means forever in the past. So forever in the past was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, that all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Now the Thursday nighters know, because we're going through the Gospel of John, what the Apostle is doing here, he's equating the Lord with the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. Now, he's calling Jesus the Word in John chapter 1. But if you would go back, and we're not going to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 1, there's a series of he said, and he said, let there be light. And he said, and he said, and everything came into being. We're told in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, that all that was created was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we see the star and the blue and the light, we're reminded exactly who this child is. He's different from all others in that, yeah, he's fully man, but he's also God who is seated upon the throne, not just at creation, but throughout all of eternity. This child, secondly, will sit in the heavens as Lord over salvation. The cross was God's plan from heaven even before the creation of mankind. Now, this is a concept that Doubting Thomas got. Not at first, though. He, he, he didn't believe. He didn't believe. When, when everybody else told him that they saw the risen Lord, I'm not going to believe unless I'm able to put my hands on this. And so God revealed himself to him. God will always enter into our doubts and reveal himself if we're honest and we honestly look. But Doubting Thomas came to awareness when he saw the risen Lord. Now, what I want you to see here is, is how we see salvation and creation and revelation all working together in these two verses. In John chapter 20, verses 27 through 28, Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your finger here, or your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And so as that blue light shines upon that baby, that baby that we know was hung upon the cross for all of humanity, we need to see and we need to understand that this is truly Lord and Savior. See what's happening with Thomas. I'm not going to believe you unless I see it, unless I touch him. And then all of a sudden, there's Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Put your fingers here. Put your fingers here into these wounds. Put your hand here into these wounds. And nowhere are we told that Thomas did that. He, he just saw the wounds of the love that God had for him, and it was overwhelming. Now, what he's seeing here is the crucified Lord. 
And it's the crucified Lord that brings him to the knowledge that this is God who is seated upon the throne, my Lord and my God. See, in that, Thomas was kind of rebuking himself because Jesus Christ wasn't really his Lord. He told them all that was going to happen, and obviously he was doubting. Doubt just simply means he wasn't believing. But now he realizes his shortcoming, and he's submitting himself to God. And so as we see that color, as we see that color blue, it reminds us that Jesus Christ seats on the throne over all of creation and even over man's salvation. Then thirdly, God's star witness also tells us that this child sits in the heavens as Lord of our sanctification. When I say sanctification, I just mean that he's working in our lives daily. He's maturing us and he's growing us. Sanctification simply means to be separated. It's the process of separation. He's separating us from who we used to be into who he desires for us to be. Today, Jesus sits in the place of the authority of God that governs, again, the lives of mankind. If all things truly work together for the good, then God watches over all things for our good. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated in the heavens. Now when it says that God is seated upon the throne or even when God is seated, that means he's seated in the place of authority, such as a king who is sovereign over a nation. Now, there's only one time when we see, well, there's really two times that we see Christ rising up. The one time is going to be when he comes back. But the only other time we see, it's in the book of Acts chapter 7, verse 55, when Stephen is stoned to death. It says, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why is Jesus standing instead of seated here? Well, because as martyred saint, he's receiving him unto himself. We have a God who directs us in this life. We have a God who cares for us. He loved me on the day that he was on the cross. He loved me on the day of my salvation. He continues to love me and to care for me every moment of my life. So, blue, pretty thorough. That star really speaking volumes. Second color of light that a star gives off, we have blue, but we also have white. White, this speaks of the righteousness of God. speaks of the righteousness of this child. Here, God's star witness, it tells us of the absolute purity of this child. Now, this is a concept entered early on. The backdrop of that tabernacle that I was talking about that had that tapestry upon it, it was white linen. The priest, the background of what he wore, it was white linen. We're told that we're going to be clothed in heaven with white linen. And what that speaks of, it speaks of sinlessness. It it speaks of absolute purity. It speaks of that which is void of anything that could possibly defile it. As we saw last Thursday night, we see this child. This child was born and this child was destined to die. It was one of the reasons why Christ was born. 
Christ was born for the express purpose of being put to death. It's why God needed to become mankind. Because see, one of the things that God can't do, God can't lie, God can't sin, but God can't die either. Praise God, we have a God that can't die. But something needed to be happened because or needed to happen because mankind was lost in his sin and somebody needed to pay the price. And so God, he loved the world to such a degree that he sent his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so since you or I, if we tried to pay the price just for our sin, kind of an Easter message breaking out here, we would be upon the cross forever because that's a debt I just can't pay. And so he sent the son. He sent his son, God, who was absolute purity, never sinned, but nonetheless went to the cross. See, there's only one person, well, Adam was created to live forever, but sin entered in and kind of put an end to that plan. Nobody else ever would have lived forever except for Jesus Christ. Because, see, unless he was hung upon the cross, he never would have died of old age. Because the only reason man dies is because of sin. And so there he is, put upon the cross. God dies because of the great love that he has for mankind so that he would pay the price for our sin so that we would be able to enter into eternity. So what that star says as it's hanging there is, is that I love you to such a degree that even in my purity, I'm setting aside some of my divine attributes so that I can enter into humanity and give you the Christmas present that will continue to give throughout all of the ages. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then the third color of light that that star gives off, now this is for the coolest of stars, is red. This speaks of the purpose of the child. God's star witness tells us of that blood that one day is going to flow. That blood, well... For all of the ages, or at least since Exodus, there was the flow of blood. There was a lamb or a bull or a goat or a pigeon and needed to be sacrificed. And there was always that blood that needed to be let for the covering of sins because man kept sinning, so the sacrifice kept coming. But now here's this lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world. And the blood, the blood's not so much a wound that bleeds. The idea here is the flowing of the blood is death because the life of a person is in the blood. And this is a child that, although you see the beauty and the innocence of a child, at some point that child is going to be brutally killed for all of mankind. John 18.1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the book, brook Kidron, and there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Very rich symbolism. He was there and he was in, in Jerusalem. He was headed over to the Mount of Olives and he goes over this brook Kidron. Now he's in town for the time of the Passover. This brook runs right by the temple. And it's believed that there was a, some sort of sewer system that went from the altar all the way through and dumped into that brook. In past studies, we saw that they probably killed about 200,000 lambs during that time. So as Jesus is walking over that brook, it's more than likely running red. And the idea here is, here's all of the blood for all of the ages of all of these sacrifices, 
And the best that it could possibly do would be to cover the sins of man. And then here's Jesus crossing over the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world. Very poignant part in history of mankind. All things are truly going to change. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Then we have the last color that a star is able to emit. Now this color, from what I understand, from what I read, is very rare. They see very few stars give off this color, but the last color that a star is able to give off, and I don't know what it has to do with age or whatever, but it's gold. And I really believe that that star was given off blue light. I believe that that star was giving off white light, red light, and then gold. Why? Because of that star. That star, that light, is a witness. It's a witness, so again, that you would come, that you would see, that you would examine that child so that you would know the will of God. Gold? Gold speaks of royalty. That star witness, it tells us that this child is destined to become the king of kings and the lord of lords. Of all the kings that ever walked the earth, he's the king of all. Of all the lords that ever existed, he's lord over all. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so, God's star witness, God's star witness has spoken volumes throughout, well, at least the past 2,000 years. And so, once again, you could ask, if you ever stopped and wondered, Why are we still speaking of a star that was hung in the sky so long ago? It's not because of the star. It's because of the message that is in the light, but even more so in that which illuminated it. And so that star, that star gave off light for the purpose of being a witness. Now, Matthew speaks of this. He speaks of this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The worship team is going to lead us in a worship song. The guys are going to be passing out candles. You'll get one candle and you'll get a wax catcher. Hopefully the wax catcher works. Um, 